You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chits Chat. This week, I am joined by Brian Curcio, who is the co-creator of the financial literacy app, Rapunzel. So this conversation is all about financial literacy. I also speak to Brian a little bit about cryptocurrency, investments, and what financial freedom is, but it's really just about that idea as a concept. Like, what is financial literacy? Why is it so important? And if I could get anyone to take anything away from this conversation, it's really just to try and educate yourselves more on your own finances and look deeper into if you could be doing anything differently. Obviously, if you download Rapunzel, that'd be fantastic and you can delve into that. But really, it's just about asking certain questions and really just having a bit of thought, even if it's in the background and something you'll look into a little bit more in the future just something to kind of consider and ponder so there are details in the description to find a little bit more information on rapunzel and things but i will be back at the end of this conversation to give you more information too and if you want to watch the video version of this conversation go over to youtube.com slash genuine chit chat and you can also find my whole host of other content including playlists and all those other things or you can just scroll further back in my catalog just to see other content i have created wherever you are listening to this on a podcast app But friends, I'll be back at the end of this conversation to give you more information on what I'm up to in general and those sorts of things. So make sure you stick around to the end. And without further ado, here is Brian Curcio. Welcome to Genuine Chits Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. So my friends, I am here today with an individual who is more financially literate than I think probably almost anyone I've ever met. And the more that I listen to him speak, the more intrigued I get. And I think that as you delve into this conversation, you'll realize of not just the value of money, but really how important it is to know things about money. I mean, that's a really simplistic sentence, but it's just the amount of tangents that one could go on when discussing financial literacy is essentially endless. So the guest I'm speaking with is Brian Curcio. And, you know, thank you for coming on the show. And the main kind of I think catalyst for your sort of uh, podcast tour, as it were, has been something called Rapunzel. So I think it was quite a good shout is just to dive right in there, give the baton to yourself and tell us, what is Rapunzel and how did you get into creating this uh, with this app, really? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, so Rapunzel is a gamified financial literacy platform, which is a mouthful. But what we're really trying to do is take the idea of learning about investing and engaging with the stock market, which is typically reserved for kind of a select few and make it fun and engaging for really anyone to pick up a smartphone and start kind of learning about the world of investing. So the way the app works is um, every user receives a free $10,000 stock in crypto portfolios, and then they're able to enter those portfolios into competitions where for high school students, we do national scholarships. And then for college and older individuals, um, we do cash competitions where like the top 30% share a portion of the prizes. Um, And it's been it's been really engaging and really fun to kind of see, but also, I mean, it's shocking that there is such a huge divide between um, understanding how money works and how it doesn't. And I think you have some people who can take their savings and earn 10, 12% per year on it and others making half a percent in a checking account. Um, It adds up like, and we're kind of seeing those issues across the world, I think. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, and one of the things that you're really striving for with your partner, Miles, is that, you know, you want more people to be financially literate, especially, you know, people who are older individuals. That's great. That's really helpful for 
those it depends on what sort of their job is and how uh, connected they are with other individuals but a lot of the focus is on younger people which i think is incredibly valuable because it's a system that it has ripple effects and it grows up and one of the concepts you've spoken about um, which i think is really interesting is that when i was speaking about this to my fiance and we were both agreeing completely with what you were saying which is in nowadays the majority of individuals who learn a decent amount about financial literacy whether it's investing or savings accounts or even mortgages like you know i'm based in the uk and i know that you're based in the us but like there's a lot of crossover especially with the financial markets and things and i think that people learn the most either from friends or family members and right. you started off in quite a uh, fortunate scenario where both of your parents were um, investment bankers if i'm correct and I think it's a very just you're a very positive force that you learned that. And instead of thinking, you know, I'm going to go to Wall Street, make all the money in the world and be a baller. You were like, how do we translate this and how how do we you, yourself and Miles get this to more people and make sure that you don't have to rely on your business friend or your parents you know, before you're born? Hopefully they make the right financial decisions. So I want to get us a little bit more about that mindset and kind of your journey through, you know, education to what brought you to starting Rapunzel, really. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely at the time when we were thinking of the idea of Rapunzel, all those aspirations of being a baller on Wall Street were definitely still um, being tossed around. But Perfectly fine to. <laughs> um, but what I think what really kind of resonated, I mean, the education piece is huge and just seeing kind of schools a mile from where I grew up that had such limited access to opportunity was a huge shaping force. Um, my mother was involved in education, but the biggest piece I think was we talk about a lot in our curriculum, like this idea of building generational wealth, but financial literacies really become this generational knowledge where it's like, if it isn't spoken about at the dinner table um, and you're not learning about it from your family, you most likely never will. Um, and so part of the idea of putting Rapunzel on an app in the first place was, yes, we're going to focus on going into high schools and working with students at that age. Cause you can get kids in high school, you can start realizing that you want to go to college to go into finance. Um, working at the college level, which we see a lot of firms trying to kind of recruit diverse talent. And um, while there is diverse talent at the college level, if you started empowering the millions of kids in high school that aren't receiving those opportunities, there'd be a much bigger pool to pick from. Um, and so what we're really trying to do is break that generational knowledge gap where bringing it into schools. And also, I mean, we're starting to see a lot of states care more about teaching personal finance. Um, I actually, I did uh, GCSEs and IB, so familiar with the British system. Um, and I mean, there was an econ class, but at the time there wasn't a personal finance. Um, and so I think what's interesting to see now is that you were telling teachers about half the US now requires kids take personal finance course um, to graduate like their GCSE equivalents. Um, and we're somehow expecting teachers to be fully prepared to teach a subject that they never had in school. Um, and so it's that's one of the biggest pieces we found is that it's not really just enough for legislators to say, okay, this is a good idea, learn about it. It's like, who's teaching that knowledge? And I think right around when I was graduating college, it didn't seem like anyone was. Um, Robinhood had just started really surging in popularity um, and making trading free. 
was a brilliant marketing scheme, but I mean, all the academic research shows retail traders trade too much. So maybe having a barrier to placing those trades might have actually helped traders. Um, so it was kind of just realizing, okay, there needs to be an educational opportunity for people um, before they're getting involved and risking their own money. Yeah, and I think with Rapunzel, because I encourage anyone, even if you're not necessarily intending on uh, downloading the app, is just go to the website. Uh, there'll be a link in the description. Even just the graphics in which I used and some of the screenshots you can see, immediately, even me, you know, pushing like nearing 30, like it looks immediately more appealing. And to me, uh, the apps are not necessarily the same, but the concepts I think are similar where I'm currently doing Duolingo. Um, so I've been doing that for nearly two years. My fiance is Italian, so I'm trying to learn Italian. And, you know, doing it for five minutes or 10 minutes a day with something that, you know, I, I you know play video games and things. I think a lot of people have at least dabbled. And there are certain video games which um, when you get a little when you get a challenge and then you complete the challenge, even if you don't get anything physical, you get a little thing going, well done, congratulations. You just get that little serotonin rush. You just get that little, oh, that's nice. And when the graphics and things are nice as well, that visual stimuli. So when I see things like Duolingo, which I think has really influenced a lot of people to at least be interested in language, I get a very similar positive vibe from Rapunzel. You've gamified learning and you've made it interesting while also making it simple enough to really want to delve in. So was there like a moment with you and miles where you were just kind of sat around think about being ballers and then suddenly it was a click or like what was where was the kind of moment because obviously when you started off it was assumedly more of a a thing well you know my parents are in this industry i want to become more literate it's quite a good way for you know safety net and the future of my own finances and however i want to whatever life i want to live where was that moment which really was there a moment or was like a slow progression that kind of turned your heads to the other direction yeah, so it was definitely a moment. Um, I mean, it built into a moment. So it seemed like last year of college, um, we were working on an idea. And at the time, the thesis was that older individuals um, like ourselves pushing 30 um, <laughs> birthday was two days ago. And I'm like, yep, it's getting close. Um, but I think what we were trying to figure out um, in terms of making something engaging, but we thought that people were going to age out of uh, social networks in the sense that they might want to be more social about the things that matter to them now, like their finances. Um, so we first thought of Rapunzel as just this competitive financial social platform. And then we found out that our friends didn't understand the basics of the stock market. Um, so then we started realizing we needed to build educational materials and we needed to test our competitions. And so we really fell into teaching in high schools, um, thinking because we had a lot of support from John Rogers from Aerial Investments, and he provided uh, the scholarship for our first inaugural competition in Chicago. And it was really through that that the education side of Rapunzel took off and we saw all the teachers that wanted curriculum Um and just how the kids interacted. And I think the way, the way one of our biggest kind of competitive advantages that we've had has come out in a really cool way that in April, when we launched, uh, Miles and I essentially spent six or seven weeks uh, consecutively teaching high school classes across the country uh, or across the city every day for seven weeks. And we're also living together with three other friends who are helping out. So 
it was like that HBO show Silicon Valley a little bit. Um, but so we were just every day was teaching. And I'm also in charge of doing the front end design for the app itself. And so the power of being able to talk to kids, I mean, it was exhausting, but to be able to talk to kids for six or seven hours and introduce a hundred kids to the stock market and then come home and you have all of those different user experiences to then improve the app. And part of it was selfishly like, we can't keep asking the same question of what is shorting a stock. And it's like, so now if you haven't put shorted a stock, you get a little tutorial on what it is before you do it on the app. But it was really trying to answer as many questions for students as possible um, digitally, because what we realized was eventually it won't be Miles and I going into classrooms uh, when it gets to that across the country point. And so it was trying to figure out if teachers don't feel comfortable bringing financial literacy in, or they're not sure what it looks like students learning on an app, to have all of those education resources integrated Um it was, it's been really useful for the teachers and it definitely made our lives easier um, when we were teaching every day. I can imagine, well, my fiance is also a teacher. I mean, she's, mm, she teaches okay. languages. And so it's for, from my experience, I remember in, uh, in school and also just from what most people I know, generally speaking, languages is one of the things that there's a lot of resistance towards. And then the other thing is maths. Now, obviously, financials aren't strictly aligned with maths but because there's numbers and things people who generally aren't a fan of maths are just like oh finances i don't know anything about that because i don't understand math and things it's like they are separate things because there's just a lot of numbers i think people kind of withdraw a bit and before mm -hmm. even going through the first steps they right. they put up their own barriers thinking i can't do this and i think when you have an app that lets people take their time with it and has these visuals that really help people keep people engaged without this this element of shame that you've touched upon in some of the other conversations you've had with finances, which is, you know, there's this strange taboo. I know in America it's the same. Over here it's definitely the same. We're starting to get out of it, I think, not, not to, uh, for us to take credit, but I think our generation is starting to break that mold of don't talk about your finances. You know, right. my parents and things like that, they would talk to themselves and to me, but they wouldn't talk to anyone else, any of their friends, about how much money they were making. I'm not saying you have to show people your paychecks or anything, but myself and all my friends, we all loosely discuss how much money we're making, and especially in the current financial climate, I think it's even more important because where the cost of living is going up and everything else, you know, having a little bit of financial conversation with your peers can really help understand maybe that you're not alone or that you are actually alone and why might that be? So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your views on, you know, why people don't talk about it. You had a quite an interesting concept, which I think people would like to hear of what you believe is the reason people haven't really been talking about finances as much um, before this point. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is, yeah, you grow up and you hear this, don't talk about your money. Um, but that's what we kind of like to try and encourage the students when we're working with them and through the curriculum is this idea that the richest people in the world are talking about money all the time. Um, and when you look at the stereotypical, like on the golf course, or if it was when Miles and I were both interning, um, our bosses at one point were connecting because an investment for one of our firms uh, didn't fit within the criteria they were looking at, but he knew it fit into the other firm. So it's like, if these incredibly successful investors and the wealthiest people are talking about their investments and talking about best ways to earn money, I mean, we're doing a huge disservice teaching people not to talk about it. Um, and I think you see it even in, even if it's beyond financial literacy, um, 
It's like when bosses didn't want their employees talking about how much they're making. And then the employees start talking and it's like, it helped the employees to have that conversation. It didn't help the boss. So I think understanding that um, just having that transparency and understanding where people are at financially. And I think it's also comforting in some senses when you understand that you're not alone. Um, There's this concept we've been reading more about with financial trauma where people kind of go through a really awful financial hardship, whether it's a economic shock or whatnot. And then they kind of shut down. Um, and it's kind of like, then finance isn't for them the same way you see kids say they're not good at math and they kind of never want to take a math class. Um, and I think like, just because there's numbers involved, if you, it's like saying the grocery store is too math based. Um, I mean, there's definitely some math in where they stock different items, but the biggest piece is it's just using numbers to convey value. Um, and so once students are able to appreciate that, um, I think kind of the scary, intimidating nature of finance, which may or may not have been designed so that the people who understand it are able to charge the people who don't fees to manage it. Um, I think it's kind of, it's a lot more accessible for kids. Um, it's like for anyone really. Mm. You make a good point there. And it's, it's, it's that fear element is something I think as well that plays a big part in, in hurting education in a lot of ways. And I think what people undervalue like if i i know it's easy to, easy easy to say this but like if i was creating a society you know one of the most important things i say you need to teach individuals is you know how to how to survive how to like kind of live and the number one way i think in modern society especially in you know the western world where we are a capitalist society is you need to know how to deal with your money like that's that's really as soon as you start getting resources like resource distribution like that's you go back to the core before even the concepts of money were even a thing in society, you know, you had farmers and you had bartering systems and people trading. Farmers knew the value of their goods, their animals, whatever, compared or hopefully good farmers would know with other individuals. And you do these trading and eventually, you know, things elevated more and more. And there are different services where there were things that you didn't necessarily create an item or uh, grow it. You had to make a value system. And that's where really where money in theory, initially kind of came from is a value system. And I think that when you understand the importance of that, and when you understand where money can go, when what you can do with money, so much of your life is much easier. And I think you touched upon something quite interesting there, which is people, in a very cynical way, people at the very top benefit from those in the middle or in the bottom if you're not financially literate. Because if you're not financially literate and you take those loans which have got like, I've seen them on television where it's like 1,400% APR. And it's like, if you don't pay this in time, if you borrow £100, you have to give like 14 times that back if you're not careful. Or things like of that nature, or even if it's just like 50% more than you borrowed, that's a huge amount for someone who had to borrow the money in the first place. And I think that a lot of these situations uh, where people get into severely financial detrimental situations would not occur had they known about these things. So, and this is more of, of an opinion question to yourself, but do you think that people on high and the system itself is actually made to make people not understand it or do you think just as a consequence of people being more money driven it's kind of been sidelined and how will we go about getting through this 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there was a group that sat down puffing cigars and said, this is how we're going to run the world. Um, I think that you have, it's all part of the financial markets themselves. I mean, I think you've got firms are kind of pushed to show quarterly profits. And to so, and it's it's just part of the system. I mean, it's like the late fees whether you believe late fees should exist or not, they are written in the contract when you sign up for a checking account. So it's like, is the, I don't necessarily believe the onus should be on the banks to have to educate on every line item. And that's where I think, I think the current system is designed for kind of the average person to lose, but it's a combination of, we, we know this banking system exists we know that credit card companies can't give rewards if they don't make money in another way. But I mean, I think the biggest failing is that we're not teaching people about it. Um, like I think in 2008 with the financial crisis, there was an incredible amount of like kind of shady things going on around kind of mortgages. But um, I mean, 15, 20 years earlier, it was kind of the messaging from US government was every American should own a home. And if everyone American should own a home, maybe we should teach them about mortgages because you need a mortgage to get a home. So it's like, I don't think it's fair to necessarily blame the financial system when they're providing the service. It's, we're not, it's, you have to go get a driver's license in order to be able to drive a car. Maybe you should have to understand credit before you get a credit card. Um, I don't know. I think there's some people that then you're restricting people's access to these credit cards and everyone deserves the same access there. But when you look at the numbers and how kind of having such debt fueled consumption has kind of really crippled the average family, I think those are kind of the systemic questions. And then also I do think the thousand percent APR, like, I don't know. I mean, at that point, do you blame the payday lender or the government for making it legal? Like at that point, I mean, it's really criminal and you're kind of preying off of someone's immediate need, whether it's kind of feeding their family, paying their rent, and then to turn around and be like, yo, 1400 now. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. It is one of those things where it's quite an interesting thing in society where, you know, people often like, especially nowadays i think the internet has helped with people understanding some of the corruption that exists you know not all bankers are evil and I, the concept of evil anyway is a whole another conversation but like not all bankers are out there trying to s destroy the economy f so they can make a few mil like that's very rarely the case it's normally they want themselves to profit and don't really care what happens to other people although there are some nice people who are really trying to push that which obviously we appreciate but one concept that i think frustrates me a little bit and i'm guilty of this myself the concept of oh bankers are evil and you know money is bad and all these kind of things and then you go well why is that oh well it screws people over so but but did you not everyone is forced into debt often it is by bad financial situations which granted if the education system isn't up to scratch then it's hard to blame someone who's in debt and be like well it's your fault even though if you knew going in you don't know that much about it like where does i'm not trying to blame anyone but where does the blame lie that's the question and as you say if if there is legislation in place if schools are meant to be trying to push these things forward it is often down to the individuals trying to who need to really educate themselves you know I, myself and my partner we bought a house last year knew very little about mortgages we had to spend a lot of time looking into mortgages understanding the basis and then we got a mortgage advisor 
And we they helped us understand things in a lot more detail, in a lot more layman's terms. And now I have a better grasp of that. And I think we need more of those things, but it's almost a 50-50. It's kind of like you you have to really take the step yourself. And I think with Rapunzel, it's really making it more interesting. And if you if at the early days you have a better financial understanding when you're, you know, a teenager, by the time you get to that age where you can buy a mortgage or spend obtain a mortgage, I should say, then it makes it better. So I want to ask sort of what is financial freedom? I know that's something you've touched upon in other podcasts, and I think it's a, a, a misconception in certain ways. So I wonder if you could uh, educate us in that regard. Yeah. So I was talking about this with my partner and he was saying, you're going to have to define that someday. Um, <laughs> so that's good. I mean, what we've kind of been toying around is it's a simpler way of saying that um, it's having a family sustaining career and being financially prepared to know how to manage that. Um, so I think like we do a lot of, um, in addition to kind of in school and providing curriculum to teachers, we do an in-person summer camp um, with the Chicago Sky. And it's been really cool to do that program and provide career exposure for high school students. But we tell them like the end goal isn't necessarily to go be the CEO of a big bank. Um, like we have this idea that reading, writing, and arithmetic are the like three core subjects, but every job has to pay taxes. Um, so it's kind of like financial literacy is a life skill. And so when we're thinking of financial freedom, it's not being not carrying credit card debt over month to month, um, not being underwater on a mortgage. So it's just and not kind of using predatory debt and just kind of taking advantage of some of the incredible products that do exist from financial services companies, because there are incredible ones that can really help you grow your wealth. Um, and just making sure you kind of avoid these common pitfalls. There was a uh, there was a study, I forget, it was about four or five months ago, but it was saying that the average, um, the average US adult um, is self-reports that they make about $1,800 worth of financial mistakes per year, um, which is an insane number when you look at the number of people that are just at or just above the poverty line in the US. Um, there's just the evidence is really there that this lack of financial education is placing millions of people into poverty. Um, and I don't know if it, I definitely have a long list of people that I I would like to blame for the current situation. But I think the big thing that Miles and I tried to do is to just kind of figure out like, whoever got us here, it doesn't really matter. It's that we need to figure something out. Um, I think even just looking at having an informed um, citizenry, when the people in charge of making the biggest decisions are making those decisions based on the impacts it can have in financial markets, um, you have to be able to understand what those impacts and ramifications are in order to understand who you're voting for, who you support, I think, as well. Because mm, there's a lot of both, again, our, our political systems are, unfortunately, in a lot of the worst ways, quite similar. And you do have certain individuals who um, would like to say, oh, well, if you, know, if, if you I, I've heard you use this kind of example before, where it's someone saying, oh, if you vote for me, I'll put loads of money into your pension and things like that. And it's like, well, when you look into it, it's like, are you going to necessarily 
by by the time you get to retirement age, are you going to need a pension? If you invested this money instead of putting it into the pension, if you knew how to invest it, you know, I've my dad always said to me, he had his own business and stuff. Um, he's no longer with us because he basically just worked himself to the bone in all essence and passed away about ten years ago. But like he always was like, if you get a large amount of money. One of his best pieces of advice was to try and invest in property. He's like, you know, the markets will go up and down, but if you can invest correctly in property and you have enough financial backing in a sense of if you're financially stable enough, if you go into a really bad financial situation, you can sell the property. You have lots of options. There's there's things there, which is just, a, you know, that's a real baseline thing. But I know people who, they, if you ask them, what would you do if you were on the lottery? They go, I'd fly around the world and do all this crazy stuff. And myself and my fiance, not that we play the lottery, we'd say, well, first of all, half of it would immediately go into investments. It would primarily be buying property and things like that. And we'd, you know, get a financial advisor and look into those elements. And I think, again, going back to sort of, the curriculum teachings in which Rapunzel uh, fosters and is teaching people to do is if you give people this baseline and you don't have to repeat those, you know, the same questions you were having to, or the same questions you're having to answer constantly when you're in these schools. If you had this baseline of knowledge that everyone loosely had, then when people come up with questions, they can be about really specific niche things. And then when people learn those kind of things, it can really grow one's interest even more so. Rather than everyone at the same level having to learn all the same 10 things, if everyone already knew those 10 things and they could ask you questions or ask another you know, um, financial advisor or something along those lines, more, more specific questions, then I think you get into things in, in a much more interesting way. And so it's, it's just really interesting. It keeps looping back to, financial education is just so invaluable right yeah i mean it it really is and i mean it it kind of ties into every aspect of our lives and i think that that's where we're just trying to really get people to be more aware i think even when we started coming up with pensions and uh, retirement plans um 401ks, all of these things i mean the government has created these incredible incentives to save and it wasn't when they sat down and said, here, we're going to set up the country, like they didn't say also remember all the retirement things. I mean, we've created all of these opportunities because people aren't saving enough. And so it's like, okay, but people respond to incentives. And so, you know, there's the economist sitting around saying, let's do it like here, add five, add tax free on this growth for an IRA and all the different pieces. And it's at the end of the day, if you're not teaching people about the different opportunities they have. I mean, there's just, even in like employee matching programs, I mean, it's like there's free money that people don't understand how they can get it. Um, So it's really, it's important kind of at all aspects, I think, from preparing for college all the way into, yeah, retirement. I agree. And I want to take a slightly left turn here, which is about cryptocurrency. Now, I myself knew very little about cryptocurrency. In all honesty, I still don't know that much. I've watched two or three YouTube videos, a mini sort of uh, Netflix documentary on it, and now have a very, very loose understanding on what it really is. But as someone who is so literate in the financial sector and someone who is, you know, so in tune with investments, is cryptocurrency, obviously there's there's countless cryptocurrencies. It seems like there's a new one every day. But cryptocurrency as a whole is quite a scary word for people. And obviously, at the moment, it's quite a buzz. You know, it's a thing that's only, it's fairly new, or at least it's been in the the sort of the, the social consciousness for only probably a decade, if maybe even two at a push. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about almost, in your view, the value of cryptocurrency. Do you think it's something that is going to 
have longevity? And if so, is it something with the right amount of research that would be worth investing in? Or in your view, is it more something that's kind of, at the moment, it's a big buzz, but it may not have longevity? Just on your own personal opinion on that matter. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a couple distinctions like separating probably separating Bitcoin and Ethereum from everything else um, for starters, where I mean, personally, I, I, I don't know if I could say that buying Ethereum and Bitcoin is investing, but I know that buying any of the others definitely is not. Um, there's just a lot of the regulations that are designed to protect investors when you go through kind of an IPO and whatnot they're there for a reason. And so I think you've seen a lot of investors kind of lose everything um, in some of these smaller coins. And although they have this incredible amount of volatility, um, because there's not a highly liquid supply, um, as much as I think people are piling into those for the opportunity, it's what creates the exact same risk that you have everyone kind of rushing for the exit and no one's left with anything except the people who started it. Um, so tend to stay away from those. I mean, I think Bitcoin has merit in just kind of representing the overall blockchain community. I think blockchain as a technology has a lot of um, kind of potentially lucrative applications. Um, the challenge being that with Bitcoin's price so high, I think you kind of need a secondary coin like an Ethereum, which um, that's where I think you get the biggest benefit from the blockchain in that um ethereum's really invested the most time in partnering with financial institutions and what seems to be the case for a lot of the other cryptocurrencies is they take all of the excitement of blockchain technology and then they launch a regular business and they just put it on blockchain and it's somehow it should be worth more um whereas ethereum's actually building using a lot of those kind of the best use cases for a chain. Um, I think there's the other piece of it is I think it's and kind of interesting that the huge surge in kind of speculative trading in more developed um, financial countries probably have less of a use case for it um, where like, I mean, the US dollar with inflation, I guess you could say like the US dollar fluctuated 10% this past year with inflation. Um, and that value was such a massive shock to everyone um, that to think that we're going to have a global currency like Bitcoin, which can oscillate 20, 30%. I don't think that's I don't know when that would become a reality, but there's also countries where their national currency does fluctuate a lot more. Um, and so I think that I don't have enough experience to know how viable kind of a Bitcoin is, but it's every time it goes down and you think it's going to be gone, it seems to go kind of higher than ever before. So I can't say that I've decided to ride that ride that carnival ride, but I mean, <laughs> I know friends who do. It's yeah. I know a few people do as well. So so linking in still with investing, obviously you made a comment there, which was you're unsure on sort of if cryptocurrency necessarily aligns with investing. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about what kind of, in, in loose terms, obviously, I know there's a whole curriculums and things about this. So it's kind of a me trying to almost cheat having to study more. But like when it comes to an investment, you know, 
would you say like if someone's trying to start out you know there are certain apps and things obviously go to rapunzel app and you'll learn a lot more about this but with certain uh investing apps you know there's certain ones where you can invest like a, a dollar stock and quite small things then obviously people could I'm not sure anyone I know could afford this, but you could buy stock in Amazon, for example. You know, there's very, I think people, they see the the graphs of either the stock market or investments and they look at it and go, there's numbers and squiggly lines and I don't really understand it at all. So in your view with investments, you know, what is the the value of someone kind of going into the world of investments? And if you had somewhere to start, not necessarily naming a company or an app, uh, unless you're sponsored by one, then all, by all means, but where would you if someone had to kind of start in a way they've downloaded rapunzel they've gone through that they seem to understand to a degree where to go what would your guidance be loosely with investing and the kind of the world of investing what's the value in it yeah i mean i think the bit is actually the word value is kind of what i was going to go with where i think the biggest part of being a good investor is understanding value so um it's I guess it's easy looking at it from why would you buy property? Um, and it's like, well, you can rent property. And so typically, and property is actually one of the easier ones to model out where if you modeled out the current value of all the future rent payments you could receive on a piece of property, that's usually pretty close to what it's worth. Um, and so it's important then making the distinction between cryptocurrencies and stocks that whether a stock pays a dividend or not, the original idea behind stocks was you own a piece of the company and you're entitled to a future percentage of the profits. So when people are seeing these squiggly lines, I mean, I think what they really need to understand is what's driving the change in value. Um, not necessarily over the day-to-day, -day. there's way too many computers trading, but over kind of monthly or annual horizons, you start to be able to kind of paint a picture of what's driving the value of a company. Um, on the flip side, the value that's being represented in a lot of the crypto charts isn't necessarily value as much as its market mechanics and understanding that there's this limited supply and the demand and the supply is not all up for sale and then the demand fluctuates. So it's easy to look at both of them and say, here, both charts are tracking a price and they are both tracking a price but one price is tied to a value the other price is tied it's a, almost it's a reflection of itself in the supply and demand um so i think trying to like what we always encourage like once you feel comfortable understanding the different pieces of a business um looking up their 10ks on sec websites great to just be able to and a lot of the information's in rapunzel or um kind of other investment platforms where you can just see like how much money do they make? Um, it's kind of really useful when you see some of these really massive companies that everyone say are going to change the world and they never make any money. Um, and so I think, and on the flip side, there's some companies like uh, a company that crushed it during COVID because they make all masks, everything like 3M. Um, it's like, they make traffic cones. I mean, it's all like the most boring stuff. There's companies that make staples that are massive companies. So I think it's not getting sucked into the hype of what your friends are talking about and more so just trying to find good businesses that you think will be around for the next 10 years, 20 years. Mm. Yeah, because it's almost seeing sort of where, not just where the market is going, but where the world is going. 
you know, for example, this is a this is me not knowing anything about finances, but I suspect ergonomic desk chair companies probably made a lot of money during COVID because of working from home. And you know, if you say, "Oh, I can buy a stock in Tesla or a desk chair company," everyone would be like, "Oh, Tesla, that sounds really cool." And you know, I I think Tesla is a very interesting company, but it doesn't mean it's the biggest money maker necessarily. But like chairs, they sound quite boring, but unless human evolution rapidly changes in the next century which i don't think is physically possible there's always going to be a market for for chairs they're not the most exciting thing it's not the most flashy thing but it's something that for the foreseeable future is going to be a steady thing i think something that um a friend of mine was they were using one of those apps where again only like a dollar or up to uh over here pounds only a few pounds of investments at a time which is something that a lot of people i think can as long as you aren't in severe financial detriment, if you do make some bad investments or investments that you know, lose money, if it's a smaller amount, like a small amount of disposable income, you know, and it doesn't literally break your bank, there's certain ways you can get into it. And one thing I think was like, um, I think he was talking about like medical supplies, but like dentistry. And it's just one of those things where we are slowly still consuming more sugar and, you know, people are starting to get more healthy, but you as for far for the for the foreseeable future, we're always going to need dentists. So it's not the flashiest thing. It's not the most exciting thing. But it doesn't look like medical suppliers are necessarily going to suddenly decline in value. Whereas something really flashy and exciting might do. If you see what right. I'm saying. Yeah, and it's there's kind of there's always the stock, the next stock that's hyped, um, and it's just kind of. If everyone's talking about it, you're too late a lot of the time. Um, I mean, there's then there's examples that disprove that, like um, NVIDIA over the past nine months. I mean, people were talking about ChatGPT a while ago, and everyone kind of made the easy connection that they're leaders in AI. So there's times that things outlive the hype, and then I think they become reality. I mean, Tesla is another good example, but I mean, even Amazon had so much hype for years as it was losing money and now i mean it's so incredibly profitable and so there's times that the reality does catch up to the hype and the markets are right but yeah i mean i think it's it doesn't have to i think if you're trying to make money it doesn't have to be fun um that's a big piece like it can be it has to be fun on rapunzel we make sure it's fun but i mean if someone said you could make more money, but it's going to be uh, with your money and you invest it somewhere else, but now you're invested in a really boring company. I mean, that should be a really happy day for everyone. Um, so yeah, just trying to make it. I mean, boring. Have to be fun. Yeah, exactly. Make it boring. Boring company is also quite stable. You know, if you go with just a boring company, it's like they're not going to do anything in theory nuts. Right. You know, as as much as you know, everyone's got different opinions on you know Tesla and Elon Musk and things like that, but. As an individual, he's a clever businessman, but he's quite volatile. You, you don't really know what on earth he's going to do next. So it's like that's, in certain respects, investing in that kind of thing can be quite risky in certain ways because it can just go up and down. But if you invest in someone, yeah, there's this chap who's been making, I'm going to use the boring example again, desk chairs or tables for 40 years. He's probably going to keep doing it. So it, it's 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 kind of not only about financial literacy, but it's also just kind of, yeah, not going for the flashy things. And I know we're getting towards the end, so we will begin to wrap up. I just have a couple more questions. And one of them is about generations. Now, obviously, 
I think we are millennials. Um, so I think all generations probably think they're the smartest generation in a sense of, well, we can we can see all the mistakes the other generations did and the newer generations, they're all flash. And I think that's what they thought about us as well. But I wondered if you could uh, give a little bit of your uh, opinion on how different generations view wealth in a sense of where you've obviously, you're a living millennial, you've been teaching uh, children or well, individuals who are younger than you that would be Gen Z and even potentially the generation before that, this name, I don't know. And then obviously also older individuals. Do you think that generations loosely as a whole, not talking about specific individuals, do you think that generations view wealth differently? Or do you think it's generally everyone kind of views it the same and everyone's as equally uh, uneducated about it as everyone else, just from your own experience? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've I've read a couple studies that have talked about younger generations caring a lot less about saving and much more about experiences. But to your point earlier, it's like, I think old people care more about their savings than young people who want experiences and don't know if that's a generational thing or when we're older, if we're going to say that those darn kids just want to travel. Um so what I what I do see more so on the investing side, I mean, because I mean, in my experience, whether it's high school, college, I mean, everyone loves money. Um, rarely do we meet a kid that's like, no, I don't want as much of it as possible. Um, but I think what's interesting is seeing younger generations are recognizing that there's power in being a shareholder. Um, so I think you have older generations are strictly trying to maximize returns. And what we sometimes see with the kids is they're investing in companies based on the company's kind of social impact or kind of their environmental impact. And um, even we had one student who was a scholarship winner that was really keen on looking at um, diversity of the company's board and for each company she invested in. So I think this idea that, and you're seeing it across not just finance, where people are finding their voice through kind of the internet, finding like-minded people. And from an investing standpoint, it's been really cool to see kids that um, not only feel like they can shape the future with how they invest in companies, but also that a lot of times they might know better than the market when it comes to some of these tech companies. Um, I'll never forget the big, forget it was like 2018, but I forget the prices exactly, but standing in a classroom, we said, so, you know, you could buy Facebook stock, Tesla, Snapchat. And one of the kids in the back was just like, why would I ever buy Snapchat? And the whole class laughed. And they're talking about no one uses that anymore. And it must have been two, three weeks later, um, Snapchat had earnings and stock dropped 20, 30%. The following week, Kylie Jenner was like, I hate the new update. And it was all these kids sitting in the classroom being like, no one uses it anymore. That that's the one trade miles. And I wish I, we could have back. I was like, we should have stored, shorted Snapchat right then walked out <laughs> of the classroom. Um, but so that was, so it's, I think there's something empowering in that to knowing, I mean, there's trillions of dollars flowing around um, financial markets and the price of some of these biggest companies, they actually care what high schoolers think about the company. Mm. I think that's something that you've touched upon that's really interesting and very important. And it's something that I think that what you're doing both with Rapunzel and also, you know, especially traveling around uh, educational organizations and teaching people these things and doing podcasts and trying not only obviously to promote Rapunzel, but also a lot of the conversations you're having, not every answer you're giving, a lot of the time you don't even mention Rapunzel, you are genuinely trying to help people, which I think is very noble. And I think that the more 
almost the more financially educated everyone gets kind of the more everyone wins and the more voices we hear as a collective the better society can be we can hopefully it's probably not going to happen because it's cyclical but who knows if we were all more educated maybe the 2008 crash wouldn't have been so severe you know maybe if certain elements of things weren't as uh closed off in the ivory tower you know when you have someone like a rapunzel at the top of the ivory tower kind of you know i assume that's what the link was because i've heard yep, you use the term yeah. ivory tower so it's like if you have these people who have more knowledge it just really benefits everyone so with my kind of as we start to wrap up one of the last things i want to ask you is are you optimistic not just with your own you know in yourself and miles know your own impact in young people and you know fingers crossed in five years time everyone will have rapunzel and everyone be financially literate but you know in a general realistic way of from again your personal experience of interacting with younger people and and how you've seen the market's been changing over the last sort of decade or maybe decade and a half of you being involved in it heavily are you optimistic for how the future is going with financial literacy or are you more on a, a cynical sense yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. I think um when we started this, there must have been maybe five or six states in the US required financial literacy. Now we're at 27. So there's been huge progress from the legislative side. Um I think ultimately like student curiosity is kind of one of the most powerful things. And a lot of educators, I mean, aren't taking advantage of that and are kind of teaching very prescribed what they need to teach. Um but it ties back to that curiosity and kids love money. And so I think what's really cool is that a lot of this education and these resources are out there now where it used to be that you could read the one textbook and Benjamin Graham or Warren Buffett have written about how this is how you should be investing. Um, now there's so much, I mean, there's a huge risk for misinformation for kind of the crypto, a lot of the pump and dump schemes, but there are a lot of, good resources out there in addition to Rapunzel that I think just being able to explore and get your feet wet that a lot of students are going beyond whether it's being taught in school or not. I think what we saw with like GameStop or um, Bed Bath and Beyond, it's like people are connecting and talking about finance, whether we want them to or not, whether we're teaching it or not. And so I think I'm optimistic that now we're starting to finally realize that we should teach people about these things um, because between 08 and then COVID, I think we keep having these economic shocks and if we don't start educating people. I mean, it's just kind of repeating the cycle every eight to 10 years. Agreed. And I think one other thing that you mentioned in another podcast was if you are financially literate, it bleeds into basically everything else. If you understand the way the financial sectors are working, you'll loosely have a better understanding on certain political agendas why you know what kind of things political leaders or candidates are saying that actually that's not a good idea and if they're saying it is a good idea reevaluate your relationship with that political leaning or even just in other ways like the way world economy world economics is and how certain wars or conflicts can occur you know all of it all of it at the end of the day whether directly or indirectly links in with money and understanding that 
just at its core will just bleed into so many other areas in life. If you want to start your own business, if you want to be a social media influencer, you need to, at the bare minimum, understand how much money you can get from ads, how much money you need to live, you know, all these kind of different elements. So I want to just pass the baton back to you for one last time and say, you know, just thank you once again for everything. But any final comments from yourself, and then you can plug away. Again, everything will be in the description, but just any final comments of anything we have not yet touched upon. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we covered most of it. I mean, I think I hit my talking points. Um, I appreciate you having me on here and just um, kind of letting me share more about Rapunzel. And I, if I had a shameless plug, it would be that we have a free scholarship competition for all high school students, whether you're a student or a teacher. Um, happy to kind of connect. Uh, my email's kind of in the description. And yeah, I would love to bring it to your school. Fantastic. Yeah, well, this will be going out uh, very soon. So people will definitely be able to check out the links in the description, find everything else out. And, you know, there's no harm in just checking out Rapunzel. You know, there's there's no harm in downloading it, looking through it. And even if you obviously, you know, we want you to use it loads and get increase, improve everyone's financial literacy. But even if you learn one thing from this conversation or from Rapunzel, it's just hugely beneficial. So I just want to say again, Brian, thank you so much for not only taking the time to speak with me and my audience, but also thanks to you and give my thanks to Miles for just genuinely taking this amount of time and effort to try and benefit the rest of the world. You didn't have to. And it is just appreciated, at least from my end, that you are really doing something like this to really try and help people and you know spending this time going and educating high school individuals it's just it's a really great thing and i think it's very underappreciated and i hope that you know i hope that you make loads of money in things because i think you deserve it because you're just doing so many great things and i and genuinely have been inspired listening to other podcasts with yourself and with this conversation and looking into rapunzel more i'm genuinely more inspired to take a stronger grip on my own financial knowledge so i just want to thank you personally for doing that Absolutely. No, thank you again for having me. Um, check it out on the app. And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my friends, make sure you check out the Rapunzel app if you feel so inclined. Check out the details in the description for other stuff about Brian. And make sure you check out other conversations I've had about this sort of thing. YouTube is probably your best place to go and check out one of the playlists. I believe it's called Business and Entrepreneur Related Chats. And you can hear all kinds of conversations surrounding similar subject matter as to what you heard today. But what else is going on in my podcasting world? Well, I must say that if anyone is a fan of Star Wars comics and canon, I must apologise that I did not release an episode this week. Everything has just been incredibly busy. There was a work thing where I went, had to go to London for the day and I stayed over at Megan's brother and sister-in-law's overnight. I've also been doing loads of stuff for podcasting, including I've been doing the weekly Ahsoka discussion shows. So that's coming towards a close now. The finale is next week which will be a huge weight off myself because as much as I love doing it, it means I have to watch Ahsoka on the Wednesday and then normally record an episode on the Wednesday or Thursday night and then immediately start editing it and trying to release it and get the video version out as soon as possible. So that's taken up quite a large chunk of my time as well as trying to do Patreon content and all that usual stuff. I also did a guest spot on Back to the Filmography with I Am Jack's Musings. That's where he's making his way through the entirety of Jason Statham's filmography from the very start to every accredited film he's been in. And myself and Megan watched Nomeo and Juliet. Unfortunately, Megan was ill, 
So I just did a solo pod, but it was great fun and that should be out in a couple weeks time. When it is, you'll find the details in the description. Speaking of guest spots, there's the other guest spots that I've been doing. Somewhat recently, they've almost all been around Star Wars-y things. Obviously, there's Rebels Review. There's myself appearing on Reckless Rebellion with Thomas Rochester talking about the three Thrawn book trilogies. I also appeared on Star Wars Timeline to talk about the Ahsoka series and stuff. So I've been doing lots of Star Wars-y things and I've got other non-Star Wars-y things coming up as well. Speaking of that, what have we got next week? Well, next week, I'll make sure I release an episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon. I think I'm going to be doing the Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade plot summary and book review. But on this feed, I'm going to be doing a conversation with my cousin's wife, Paige. Paige is an incredible individual, has got some qualifications in dog behavior and those sorts of things. So we're going to talk about dogs and the training of dogs and those sorts of things. And, you know, what is good about having a puppy and a rescue dog and all these sort of other topics surrounding dogs and dogs behavior. So really, really excited about that. That's going to be another in-person interview. So there may or may not be video for that. I've also got a few other pods in the background due for recording. You can also support the show by following me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. I say Twitter, it's called X now, isn't it? I keep forgetting that. But obviously you can share the show as well. And you can also leave reviews. So you can leave reviews on any of the podcasting apps, you know, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, those sort of things. And you can also leave a rating on Spotify and a few other places. If you do any of those things, just screenshot yourself doing it. Send the screenshot to myself on social media or via email. And I'll send you a free episode of Afterthoughts, which comes from my Patreon. So if you want to support the show even more than doing any of those things, you want to support the show financially keep the wheels turning help me save up for the next piece of equipment which is going to be a better quality camera then please consider going to either patreon.com slash genuine chits chat or ko-fi.com slash genuine chits chat and please consider donating if you do on patreon you'll get instant access to over 180 episodes of afterthoughts that's where myself and megan normally review tv shows movies live performances or trips we've been on those sorts of things plus there's a few star wars book reviews and a few other bits and pieces in there too but you get an episode of that every single week so on top of everything else i put out which i think I'm at over 700 podcast releases over Patreon, Genuine Chit Chat, Styles Comments in Canon, and guest spots. So six years of podcasting, it's a it's a lot. And then on coffee, if you give it just a one-pound donation as a one-off thing, I'll send you two episodes of Afterthoughts. And if you give me more money than that, then I will send you more. So any way you support the show financially, I will give you bonus content, as well as a thank you and a portion of my undying love and gratitude. So please consider checking those out. Links are in the description. You can sign up to the Pop Culture Collective newsletter, that's pccnewsletter.com, and you'll get weekly updates of what I'm up to, as well as some other incredible creators, including the Femon Collective, Spider-Dan from Spider-Dan The Secret Boars, The VHS Strikes Back, Tony Farina of Indie Comic Spotlight, loads of incredible creators once a week, and you don't have to follow us on all these social media sites and things, so it's a really great way to keep up to date with what I'm doing and some other amazing people, so check the link out in the description too. But friends, that is going to be enough from me. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I will speak to you next week, hopefully with my conversation with Paige. But until then, just keep up to date with me on social media and I'll speak to you next week. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.